Our text tonight is verse 15 of Isaiah 24, and we'll come to that in a moment. But during the week, we've seen again the turmoil that this world is in. Wars, rumors of wars. At one stage, it seemed that World War III was imminent. We see that this world is in a mess. And it's not just the world at large that is in a mess. Often we find ourselves in a mess as well. And I heard one preacher say recently, I've imagined that I see everybody with a wheelbarrow. I have a wheelbarrow too, he says. We push them around and inside are our trials, our temptations, our fears, our failures, our disappointments, our heartaches and our longings. These are the things that wake us up and then keep us awake at three o'clock in the morning. See, living in this world demands and places demands upon us. And often it confronts us with challenges, some that we see coming, some that we don't. And often it rocks us in ways that can be at times uncomfortable, at times painful, sometimes sorrowful. And when we face these difficulties, you know, often we're told, well, you know, just try and shoo them away, live above them and try and press on regardless. And all the way we can be tempted to resent our trials and just allow that bitterness to grow inside us. But the Bible and the biblical perspective on hardship differs greatly from all of those types of opinions and options. We read James and James 1 said that it is possible for the believer to know joy in their trials. And, you know, we have to say that sometimes you ask, well, how can that be? You know, and it's certainly not by trying to hide from our trials, but it's about a change in our attitudes towards them. And very often we have to bring our feelings under the rule of what we know to be true from the Scriptures. As one explains, faith by itself does not develop perseverance. True faith is proven and strengthened when it's tested. The things that we seek to avoid are the very things that make us. And really, that's what we see in our text tonight. And I just want to give you some background first on these chapters that we find in Isaiah. Now, in Isaiah 24 to 27, they form a small subsection of the rest of the book. They're often called Isaiah's mini-apocalypse. That word apocalypse means revelation. And in it, Isaiah is not just addressing the problems in his own day, but he's also uh, speaking beyond his own day. And even though there were many troubles all around him at the time, he's looking forward many millenniums right to the end of the world. And he'll speak of those things which will happen before the end of the world and the day of judgment. And there are many things that sort of stand out in this passage. For example, right at the beginning, verse 1, Isaiah writes, Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty, makes its waste, uh, distorts its surface, scatters abroad its inhabitants. And what he's saying there is the Lord, before everything is brought to an end, will take the earth, as it were, and he's going to shake it. And he will shake it till it comes to nothing before an amazing restoration. The New Testament's very clear that we are in the last days. And so this also foretells all the, the sad things that are happening even now in the world. Wars and conflicts and famines and diseases and natural disasters, God is going to shake the earth. 
And so Isaiah makes that very clear. And by these means, governments are going to be overthrown. Kingdoms are going to be toppled. Great men are going to come to dust. And everything is going to be shaken up. And one of the consequences of this is that there'll be great sorrow amongst the people. Well, friend, you look around you and you see the truth of that. Look at verses 7 to 8. The new wine fails. The mirth of the tambourine, actually stringed instruments is the better translation, ceases. The noise of the jubilant ends, the joy of the harp, ceases. So there is a, a sadness. There is a sadness that, that pervades. And then in verses 13 to 14, we actually have a reference to the Lord's people. When it shall be thus in the midst of the land among the people, it shall be like the shaking of an olive tree, like the gleaning of grapes when the vintage is done. They shall lift up their voice. They shall sing for the majesty of the Lord. They shall cry aloud from the sea. And so the reference is to the Lord's people in the midst of all these trials, all these conflicts, all this shaking, the great shaking comes, the wind blows as it were, the tree is rocked around, much of the fruit falls, but there is some fruit left on the tree that's not fallen. And that remaining fruit is a picture of the Lord's people. Even in the worst of times, the Lord will have his people amidst the shaking of nations and governments and conflicts and all the rest of it. He will always have his remnant. And the Lord will have a people, and they will lift up their voice. They will sing for the majesty of the Lord. And that's where verse 15 comes in and says, Therefore glorify the Lord in the dawning light. Now, friend, that translation isn't the most helpful to us there, because actually the better sense is to glorify the Lord in the fires. In the fires. And then towards the end of the chapter, just to bring the summary to an end, in verses 21 to 22, it says, The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, that the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones, and on the kings of the earth, the kings of the earth, they'll be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit, will be shut up in the prison, and after many days they will be punished. The prison refers to death, and the visit after many days is the judgment day. And so our text comes from this passage that deals with the Lord's people in the midst of all of this shaking. And the exhortation to the Lord's people is in the midst of all the trouble, all the fires, to glorify the Lord. And the fires is, is so helpful to us because it encapsulates all the trials of faith that the Lord's people will face. And it's the tribulations through which God in this world exercises them to obedience. It's the trial of faith which the, the Lord's people have to go through if they are truly the Lord's people. And so let's take that text and let's just draw some very practical lessons out from it. The first thing to know is this. The believer will go through fires. The believer will go through fires. The word of God is very clear about the nature of following the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. You know, friends, when Christianity becomes dead and cold, 
Christians become so unaccustomed to suffering for Christ that they think it's a strange thing for them to have to suffer in this life, and they're taken aback by it. They're surprised by the opposition and the antagonism of the world, and they don't like it. But it's a failure to understand what the Bible teaches about the life of the believer. And when the church and the people of God are alive, when they're faithful to Christ, then it is not unexpected, it is not surprising that they will face trials. It's always been. It's interesting, Psalm 66, the psalmist looks back over the way the Lord has dealt with him over the years. And he says in verse 12, we went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment, speaking of the Lord. It's the same emphasis in Isaiah 43, and we, we sung a hymn based on the verse, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. And so the Christian life is portrayed there and throughout the Scriptures as a life of fires in the sense that trials await us as we go along that pilgrim path. And it's such a helpful thing to keep in mind and a, a helpful picture because it reminds us that faith, like gold, is purified by fire. God is preparing his people for glory, for life everlasting. And so it's not surprising that whilst we're here, he'll continually be refining our faith as gold. And our fiery afflictions are not without purpose. And we also know that in times past, even today, some of our brethren have literally had to face the fires. Some have been burnt alive for their profession of faith in Christ. And so all believers will face the fiery trial, sometimes literally, but then we have to ask the question, well, why? Why, why do we have this? Why do we expect this? Well, friends, you need to know this. Satan hates the Lord and he hates the Lord's people. If we are believers, then we have been delivered from the chains of the enemy. It's a glorious thing. We have been delivered from the dungeon, as it were, and Satan is enraged at this. He hates us. He hates the fact that we have been set free from him in Christ, and he will do anything to drag us back again, if he can do anything he can to, to make our lives a misery by annoyance, by frustration, by throwing the fiery darts into your soul, whatever, that warfare is real. But also know this, he fears the Lord's people. They are followers of the king. And not only that, but the enemy's kingdom is one of darkness, and he knows that as a child of God, you are full of light. And light is a real threat to his grasp on this world of darkness. And he never knows the moment in which God may bless your testimony to a saving of a soul from his dark kingdom. Do you know, if you think about that in your day-to-day -day life, that's quite incredible that God might use you as a child of light as a means by which another one might be liberated from the chains of the enemy. And so we should expect life as believers to be a, a fire experience when the enemy is doing what he can to ruin us individually, as families, as a family of the Lord's people, doing all he can to cause us grief. 
So that's one of the reasons why we face these trials. But let me give you another one. These trials show the clear difference between the people of the word, the world and the Lord's people. You know, when all is well in the world, the hypocrite on the surface can look just as good as the believer. The thing that, that tries the Christian and proves him to be genuine over against the world is the way that we react to our trials. Do you remember when Jesus taught the parable of the sower? And he gave that image, didn't he, of the, the sower sowing the seed. Some falls on stony ground and that seed springs up and it looks great, but it's got no root. And so when the heat comes, it withers and it just goes, it perishes. And so it is when persecution or tribulation arises that they have on account of the word, immediately they can't take it. And the genuineness is exposed. As one explains, when religion is at ease, and popular with people, then a lot will join it. But when true religion is under the cloud and under the cross, then only the Lord's true people will follow him. And so trials serve to, to mark that difference. And you know, as you're here tonight, many of you, you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, you've been through those trials, and you're still here by the grace of God. And you're marked out as one in whom the Lord is at work, who is saved, and who is keeping and will keep to the end. Another reason why we face these trials is because if we're believers, we are married to Christ. If we are genuine believers, we are married to Christ. He is the church's husband, and therefore he is our husband. And in any marriage, the wife either suffers with her husband or rejoices with him. And so it is with Christ and his bride. He had the most painful experience in this world from the moment he was born all the way through to the moment that he died. This world was anything but a place of ease. And if it was so for the husband, it must be for the bride until that final deliverance. And another reason, suffering is the nature of the true Christian's experience. What did Paul say in 2 Timothy 3.12? Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will, will what? Receive the adulation and praise of the world? No. Have an easy time and, and glide through to glory? No. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All that really walk with Christ will go through these fires. Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Friend, you know, you can discern for yourself the state of Christianity and the state of the church in our land in this day and consider whether it has grown very cold. You consider the sacrifices people are willing or rather unwilling to make for the master. People cannot bear to suffer for Christ. They don't want to tolerate it, consider it, and so they run to a message that says that they don't have to. But friends, we have to remind ourselves that if we really love the Lord Jesus, we will not be able to avoid suffering. John 13, 16, Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Do you know, our Lord could have avoided the cross, but he would not have saved us had he done so. And we must be prepared also to take up our cross and follow him. So the believer will go through fires, the true believer. So then the question is, well, if these fires come to us, 
How are we to conduct ourselves when we go through those fires? Well, our text tells us it is our duty to glorify God in whatever we do and specifically in our trials. You say, well, what does it mean to glorify God? Well, friend, you need to know this. We cannot add to God's glory when we speak about glorifying God. It is not that by glorifying him that he then has something that he didn't have before. We don't add to him. His glory is infinite. It is eternal. It is incapable of increasing or diminishing. And so whenever we are told in Scripture to glorify God, it means to live in a manner which reflects our confidence in the truth and the glory of God. It means to live as those who actually believe in the God of the Bible. In all the situations of life, to behave and to react like those who trust that God is what he is and what he is to his people especially. And let me say this to you. This is something that is applicable only now in this world. I hope that you understand that. It won't be something that happens in heaven. In heaven, there's no more suffering. We cannot glorify God in the fires once we get to heaven, but we can in this life, and in so doing, we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We can't do that once we die. Once we die, the account is settled, the line drawn. We cannot increase the weight of glory then. But now we can lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, and the way to lay up treasure in heaven is to live like those who love God, who are dedicated to God, are dedicated to his cause and his kingdom and his service. And therefore, suffering is sent to us in this world to give us an opportunity to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And if we're going to live like this, then there are a number of things that we have to understand. And one of them is this, the sufferings that come to us are sent by the Lord. You know, we looked at this on Wednesday. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, 75, in faithfulness, you, speaking of the Lord, in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. You know, some people think of the Christian life like this. God sends us all the nice things and the devil is the one who brings all the bad things. But that is a very immature way of understanding the reality. God is sovereign over all. Nothing happens by accident or outside of his purpose. And that in itself should be a comfort to us because it shows us that our trials, that our sufferings are never without purpose. And friends, all good things are, are done by God. We mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. They are done by God directly. And then with wicked things, God permits them within his sovereign framework and there is an indirect relationship. And so nothing occurs outside of the agency or the secret purposes of God. And so all things are of God, directly or indirectly, but God is never the author of sin. He cannot commit sin. It is impossible. But the mystery of God's being is that nothing happens apart from the sovereignty which he exercises over all creation. God never sins. He never drives anyone to commit sin. He doesn't push people to commit sin. And so when men are wicked or want to do wickedly, all that God has to do is to remove his restraining hand from them, to remove his grace from them, as it were, and their own wickedness will take them down the path. 
even in the terrible things that happen in this world, they are not apart from or outside God's sovereign control or providence. Proverbs 16.4, The Lord has made everything for himself, even the wicked, for the day of evil. Amos 3.6, If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? And so therefore in the fires of suffering, we know that there is purpose, that God is working, and that God will overrule. And so the Lord is sovereign in everything that happens. And you know, when these trials come to us, they wean us off the world. Friends, if we're honest, we are still very much in love with this world. And God weans us from the world by permitting us to go through the fires of tribulation so that we become not earthly, but heavenly. You know, when a child is weaned, they are brought away from the mother's milk as it gets older, and they make the transition to solid foods. They're weaned from one thing to another for their good and for their growth. And God weans the the weakest child by trials until it becomes strong. And so our trials wean us off the world. They also help us to learn the faithfulness of God. There's a big difference, friends, in knowing something with your head and knowing it by experience. When a Christian is first converted, you know, they're able to say, well, I know God is faithful and I know God will deliver me and he'll help me. But when a young believer starts to face trials, sometimes you can see the the pain and there's some measure of turmoil within. But even then, the Lord is doing something full of love and kindness and strengthening that young believer. God is showing him the the faithfulness, the faithfulness of God. And and when you meet a seasoned Christian, they look back like Job and they marvel at God's deliverances. Do you know, in the experience, Job was able to say, I've been through it. And I know the God who is faithful. And who is faithful when he is finished with me, I shall shine like gold. He knew by experience. And experience is something that we need have plenty of. You know, most of us have lived through cries of anguish and maybe pools of tears. We know how hard it can be to acknowledge the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God when the storm rages. And we wonder at times where he is. And in our human response to pain, often we find maybe statements that people might bring to us about the providence of God You know, maybe we find it a bit cliched at times or we might just find it a bit stale, but they're not. In fact, with the passing of time and changing of circumstances, we can look back and we can see that there is no tragic situation that God has not sovereignly permitted. He allows all things to pass through his hands. They don't take him by surprise. And that's why we must never make light of each other's pain or make light of each other's suffering or offer sort of throw away easy answers. Instead, we are called to spur each other on to Christ-likeness during times of hardship and remember and remind one another that God has granted us life and love and that his care will keep us. You know, we can look back in history and see that our God entered into the darkness of this world that he plumbed the depths of suffering, that he is a God who knows what it is like 
to be ours. He is a God who has set before us a future where there is no more pain or crying or suffering. Even in the difficulties of life and in the depths of pain, the fatherly providence of God permits all things for our good and his glory. And he has proved, friends, again and again and again, he knows what he's doing. And so that means we can still praise him in the darkness. And so these things, these trials that come, they wean us from the world. They teach us the faithfulness of God. And in all of our trials, we are to glorify God. And you say, well, well, how do I do that? What does it look like when I'm in that valley? How do I glorify God as I go through that trial or as I'm in that fire? Well, friend, we glorify God by not giving in to panic. It's easy to say, it's not easy to do. We all panic when trouble comes. You know, everything is terrified by fire. I don't know if you've seen fire up close and we've seen haven't we those awful forest fires and we saw even in this past summer fires that rage and see the devastation that it can bring and when the fires of tribulation come we can all of a sudden be overcome with fear but we've got to learn not to panic we have to learn the lessons like the disciples in the boat when the storm was threatening to sink them Do you remember they cried out to the lord in mark 4 teacher don't you care don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that we're in the, the midst of this storm? We're about to die. Don't you care? And there was that panic. There was that, that unbelief that the Lord could be asleep when they were in so much trouble. But what a thing to say to the Son of God. The Lord deals with the storm and then he asks them, where is your faith? And when storms come, we're often tempted to doubt God. And the disciples, you know, they question the Lord Jesus, even though they'd seen his miracles firsthand. You know, they'd, they'd look Jesus in the eye. But when the storm arose, they, they took to the panic stations of unbelief as if they'd forgotten who he was or what he was capable of doing. Friend, don't we often find ourselves in that place too? As soon as the turbulence hits, as soon as the winds and the waves rise, our doubts and our weaknesses, they just burst forth and we forget who it is who dwells within us and what he's capable of doing. God doesn't prevent storms from coming to us, but he is a God who is both present through them and sovereign over them. Jesus not only stayed with his disciples through the storm, but he displays his power by calming the storm. And don't forget that you know, has God, he had created the very sea itself. Why would the sea ever be a problem for him? And for us to even circumstances that seem hopeless and insurmountable unfold exactly as he has planned. And so when difficulties and fear and pain persist, we can trust him to give us that peace which surpasses all understanding and bring us to a place of calm, whether it arise in this life or only beyond that final storm of death. And so the question is never, well, will the fires come in my life? Will the storms come? They will if you're following the Lord. But we must ask ourselves this, when the fires come, will I believe that Jesus is able to deal with them? Will I take him at his word? And will I trust him and let him be God? And he can lift the clouds of doubt that fog our minds. And you know, he is more than able 
to mend those hearts that are broken. He can soothe those longings that we have. He can revive us when we're weary. He can calm us when we're anxious. And when you see the Lord Jesus as the creator of the universe, the one who, who calmed the sea in this instance with the disciples, the one in whom everything holds together, then we too can experience that calm in our own soul. We glorify God when we trust him and don't give in to panic. And so when we're in the midst of the fire, we need to look to him. And we glorify God when we exercise patience. God's ways are perfect. His timing is perfect. But there are times when we're right in the midst of it and we just struggle to deal with that because we quite like the Lord to do it in our time. We have our own schedule, our own understanding of how we would like things to be. And we struggle when that timing doesn't match up with the Lord's timing. And it's hard when we're in the midst of trouble. But when God's power is unleashed in our lives, we can endure when we feel like giving up. And we can extend patience when we feel like we're just going to lose it. This patience which is supernatural. And we glorify God when we demonstrate that. And so that is how we glorify God as we go through the fires. We don't panic, we look to him. We patiently wait upon him and trust him. And you know, those two things, they're so simple, but they're challenging to do. We need his grace. And as we finish, friends, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you if you're in the midst of the fires at the moment. As I said earlier, those sufferings identify you as a true child of God. They sift the true from the false. And, you know, if you were to read Psalm 73, it shows that there are times when it seems as though the wicked just go through life without trouble, and then you've got the Lord's people, and they just seem to be going through so much. And the Lord's people seem to go through so much, but as followers of the Lord and alongside the other faithful brethren who've gone before, we will glorify God in the fires. He will see us through. And ultimately, we will be vindicated. And all that is real will truly be exposed. And so the sufferings identify us as God's true children. And also these sufferings are good for us spiritually when they are sanctified by God. You know, we've got to be honest about the trials we face. We're not yet in heaven. Our faith is still being tested. It's not revealed in some blissful, otherworldly experience, but in the rough and tumble of everyday life. And the testing of true faith always produces steadfastness. It makes us more like the Lord Jesus, and it also puts us in a position where we can comfort others. And so we can trust that through all our difficulties, God will continue to fashion in us a faith that is perfect and complete. And it's as we hold on to that promise that we're able to count it all joy as a trial looms ahead or we realize that we're deep in one already, we're able to think, well, I wouldn't have chosen this path, but the Lord has set it before me and he is going to use it to show me more of himself and to make me more like the Lord Jesus. And sufferings in his hand are good for us when they're sanctified by him. And then the faithful Christian, dear friend, 
will be rewarded in the world to come. And I want to encourage you with that. If we suffer with him, we will also reign with him. You know, towards the end of his life, Paul said to Timothy, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. And when we're in those fires, we have to fix our gaze on the Lord Jesus himself. When we look at ourselves, we've got good reason for discouragement, for trepidation. It's by looking to Jesus that we're able to run the race that is set before us to remember that he endured the cross, that he scorned its shame, that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, that we might be forgiven and continue throughout our days. And our faith will not fail because God sustains it. And those who have already run the race and broken the tape and emptied into the joy of the Lord are today happier, but they are not more secure. That wonderful hymn, they are happier, but they are not more secure than the stumbling, struggling, trusting, growing, persevering believer. There is no power or plot that can separate you from the love of Christ. And if you're a believer, you need to know tonight that you could not be more loved than you are. The Lord loves you with everlasting love. And ultimately, friends, we have this wonderful hope that we're going to be taken from the valley of dark terror, from the valley of gloom, and we're going to be brought into that everlasting kingdom of light and glory to be with our Lord Jesus, resplendent and regal. And he brings his children to glory, and he will go on leading them in heaven forevermore, and there'll be freedom from all the fires where the people of God will be filled forevermore with joy unspeakable and full of glory. These fires are not without purpose, and also they're not forever. There is a great glory ahead. And I don't know about you, but I long for that. I long for that day when all the pain and the sufferings and the tears will be done. And that's the wonder that awaits all those who are found in Christ. The question is, are you in him? Will you be there? Are you one who is able to face these fires knowing that God is with you and he won't abandon you? Are you able to see that these fires are not without purpose? It begins when we repent of our sins and trust in the Savior. And so, friends, if we're the Lord's, we are to glorify him in the fires. We are to trust him, not to panic, and we are to exercise patience, knowing that our God is in control. May he help you, and may he bless you, and may he lead you on in the week which is ahead. Amen.